legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Kingsley Dennis, who joins us to discuss his book, Unified, Cosmos, Life, Purpose. Topics discussed include our loss of connection to nature, the wider cosmos, each other and ourselves, technology as a tool for control and surveillance, technocratic tyranny and the transhumanist agenda, how COVID-19 has caused unprecedented fear, division and polarization, Rudolf Steiner on vaccines and spirituality, the importance of a sense of meaning and purpose in life, and consciousness as the fundamental basis of reality and our role in co-creating it. Hello and welcome Kingsley and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Hi Greg, it's always a pleasure to be back speaking with you. Well thank you. Uh, Kingsley, you've got a new book just out. Um, the title is Unified Cosmos Life Purpose. Communicating with the Unified Source Field and how this can guide our lives. Uh, before we dive into that, just uh, give the listeners a brief uh, potted bio. Oh, yeah, sure, Greg. Um, well, let's say basically the first decade of my life after university was spent living abroad, working in, um, in the teaching profession. And that was around the uh, mid to late 90s when the whole kind of globalization scene was, was exploding across the world. And I was based um, for five years in Turkey and I got... Uh, very much interested in the changing the changing worlds and uh, and everything. So I went back to the UK and I went went back into sociology and trained uh, in that area, especially in complex systems and social systems. But I was always interested in in also human consciousness and specifically how human consciousness and the human being interacts with social systems and technological systems. So after after doing a fair number of years in the in the academic scene and moving up that ladder, I decided to uh, jump ship and uh, go freelance because that you know the the career academic model wasn't for me. So then I went um, to Spain and I spent uh, twelve years in Spain researching, writing, and delving into these themes and uh, publishing quite a few books on the convergence of of social technological systems with human evolution and conscious evolution and perception and uh, yes and spent most of my time kind of delving in and, in and around that area Greg so that's a, that's a kind of quick summary. The opening section of the book you're talking about amongst other things a connection versus division um, at all levels really of our world as a species we are separated in many cases from nature, from each other, from the, the wider cosmos, and sometimes ourselves. And yet 
the apparatus of connection in terms of technology has never been more complex. So the the potential is there for the, to, for the world to be profoundly interconnected and even technology could even help us connect with nature in a way. So we have this web of connection that doesn't have to be the human world and the rest of the world. It could be very different using a lot of the advanced technology and techniques that we have now. And yet technology itself has caused a great deal of division. It would talk about bringing us together. And in many cases, it's done the absolute opposite. Uh, we're living in isolated bubbles in many cases. And the last year and a half of the uh, pandemic response, I think, has aggravated a lot of this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people becoming more reliant on technology, being isolated for obvious reasons, and being not able to move around and connect. Uh, there has been a lot of talk about um, the you know, a crisis can bring people together, but there's been some incidents of that. But really, it's um, this has been a the result has been intense polarization, uh, uh, ag aggravating. I think trends that were already there. So it's it's interesting. Just there's so many contrasts and so many potentials that are the opposite of what's actually manifesting. It's an interesting time to be alive, for sure. Well, for sure, and I think a lot of us are seeing a world totally um, in a different place than what we perhaps envisioned a decade ago. And I listened to a previous talk you did recently with Tune, I think, on was it on scientism? And, you know, you took you touched upon like kind of the technocratic kind of um, direction. And really, the question of technology is, for me, perhaps the central question of our time, because, you know, we are going through a, a very critical evolutionary movement. And and I think, like you know, when, when I started my research, let's say, um, let's say 15 years ago in this particular area, social, cultural, technological trends, uh, it was looking as if technology would be a, a great um, kind of congealing, uh, positive, constructive factor that would bring humanity together um, over and above the, let's say, the, the kind of divergent trends of a kind of social capitalist system. And I looked at that and I talked about it greatly, saying that technology is going to be decentralizing the world, it's going to bring us into greater cooperation, collaboration, greater compassion. I wrote about it quite strongly uh, and I you know, sincerely believed it. And of course, you know, we were going through the, the tech bubble. We were going through a whole um, explosion of tech innovation, especially kind of DIY from the ground up technology. And rapidly, I think much quicker than, than we, we could envision it, um, we've had this other kind of um, stream coming through technology, which was a kind of the hijacking of technology by, by certain agendas and interests, which was always a kind of the agendas of social management and social engineering. And now technology is being grasped as a, as a, as a medium for uh, social technological control. And since, uh, especially the last 18 months and the pandemic, as you rightly touched upon, we've seen how waiting in the wings were, were many facets and uses of technology which have been uh, speedily accelerated into a, a kind of uh, form of technocracy in a and that is in a, a negative sense of social control and we're seeing now this this great kind of playground slash battlefield being opened up where the once um, constructive modes of technology to bringing people together which we you know so many of us sincerely hoped for we're seeing it being you know 
being used in such nefarious ways, in ways that really um, are shocking us. I think most people would say they're shocked by uh, the authoritarian ways of technology. And then out of that is coming a, a thrust of uh, research into AI and, and algorithmic systems and smart deep learning systems, which, you know, for many people is beyond the learning curve because even most scientists don't understand deep learning once it gets past a certain threshold. So we're now in a very precarious position whereby we're going rapidly towards what I term an evolutionary turn. Like we're going towards a kind of vortex or what's been termed a singularity. And one side is racing towards social technocratic control and the other side, which is, you know, the majority, the people-centric humanistic side, um, or humanistic, of course, is a, is a broader term, but the, the kind of human-centric side is trying to really pull itself together and, and say, whoa, you know, we need to, to really um, find the human place in this, in this world. And I think that's what's really been happening so quickly, Greg. Well, one of the other big issues, um, you, could, you could say it's kind of a, a background it's probably one of the biggest backdrop to all this. You know, if we're actors on a stage, then this is one of the one of the scene backdrops. Is the issue of in human existence the issue of of meaning or purpose? And of course, in the modern era, um, materialism holds sway, reigns supreme. That is beginning to change. I think and we can talk about that. But essentially, the idea of there being any meaning in life or any purpose to existence, generally speaking. Is denied, particularly from uh, the scientific uh, and uh, most academia actually as well, scientific community, I should say. Mm-hmm. And yet, as as creatures, we do need a sense of meaning, you know, and or purpose. And even when it's denied, we find ourselves um, seeking it in other ways. Um, you know, when traditional understandings of it are, are being uh, fallen away and are being discredited or disposed of or whatever it happens to be, and even individuals who might deny meaning or purpose you used the word humanistic and let's just you weren't talking about humanists as such but humanists and, and even people as far out as nihilists for example even they will find themselves they might deny it but find themselves seeking meaning or purpose or even finding meaning and purpose they might call it something else so this is something fundamental to us as a species mm. and when it is denied we seek it elsewhere but when it, our, our seeking itself is attempted to be denied that causes enormous problems and I think, honestly, that one of the things that has brought the events of the last uh, 18 months down on us and uh, is, is fueling the response in many ways, that technocratic response that you mentioned, is pure hardcore materialism. You know, that the five-sense mm-hmm. reality is all that there is. Probably too long to go into a detailed explanation of why I think that, but I just think that what manifests out there reflects what's inside us. Yeah, it's true, and we, we can get on to talking more about materialism uh, later on. Um, but the idea, I mean, the, the again, the central notion that meaning and purpose in, in a human life, I mean, that is, that is central. And that that's what's really giving us our drive, our thrust, is that we have always felt that we have a, a you know, um, a place in the world. And so meaning and purpose comes because there's a certain order there's a certain trust. There's a trust in um, our environment and where we are. And there's a trust in, let's say, the sacred order, or for some people, the divine order. And even, even you know, like, even our, our ancestors, let's say, going far back in the early paradigms of, of scientific understanding, 
even when they said the earth was the center of the universe, I mean, clearly that was wrong, but it gave people meaning and purpose because it gave order. It gave something to, to kind of um, place yourself in relation with. And so, and then of course, you know, yes, scientific revolution and then the, uh, the industrial revolution and the materialism, but people had meaning because they, they, they understood in their terms their reality. And so reality for many people was, you know, living with your family, living in a local environment, having social relations, being content to a general degree. And over time, that has been pushed further and further away to the inner self, being further pushed outwards. So meaning and purpose, people tend to find it in their pursuits, their social activities, their hobbies. You try and find meaning and purpose when you're not working, if you can't find it in your work. But you, you know, and you can be a nihilist, you can be uh, existentialist, but you have meaning and purpose because you know the the environment of your belief systems. What I think has been happening is that this order of a kind of uh, coherent or consensus reality has been breaking down, and you know the idea of trust has been annihilated. Today, people, well, very few people have trust in. Um, political systems, the financial systems, no, and the bankers, um, the works, the work systems, well, again, no, because there's no guaranteed work anymore. There's no structure to a, a, a work career. It's very, very kind of, you know, uh, uncertain. And also, you know, we, we kind of the facade of this kind of orders breaking down. And then it, you made a very, very meaningful point about you know, in the last 18 months, especially in the pandemic, that people are being denied themselves. And so the greatest loss of meaning and purpose is when you lose your sense of self or you lose the sense that you can um, express yourself. You have the right, the sovereign right to um, to manifest or intent yourself. And when that gets taken away, through certain uh, taking away of liberties or certain human rights, then you're really, really um, cutting away at the at the core of meaning and purpose because meaning and purpose has to be connected with a sense of self. And, you know, and I think that is also tied into a, a deepening of materialism, which we may get to as well. So um, they're, all, they're all related and you it's like a domino effect. And so all these structures, social structures, have been... And, and now reality sets are being kind of broken down and that's tearing away at the inner sense of self and therefore one of the casualties of that is um, a sense of meaning and purpose. Well, I think uh, the medical component of the pandemic response is in danger of, of radically undermining trust, if not in medicine itself, in the, in the, the medical systems. There's, of course, been opponents um, of so-called big pharma for decades, you know, since pharmaceutical companies really, mm-hmm. really started to become the behemoths that they are. But, you know, I think this is in, in danger of, of undermining that, um, in many ways. And obviously lots of people are perfectly content and very keen to seek out the, the treatment that's been offered for the, the virus. Um, but you know, but a lot of people are hesitant about it. They're, they're, they're not comfortable with it or they, for all sorts of reasons. It's just not something that they really do. And, that also ties in with this, uh, with we were talking about sense of self. You know, the, the individual is being denied um, in all of this. 
And we're certainly not going to get caught up in only talking about the last 18 months, but it's very relevant because it has accelerated, as you have already mentioned, so many things. It's now sort of, it doesn't matter about the individual. It's, everything's for the greater good, for the collective. That's fine in a way, because in one sense, a coming together is kind of an evolutionary trend, you know, the, the interconnected world, you know, borders becoming less important, people becoming more unified, greater sense of our interconnection with, with others it, it implies a kind of a growing collective consciousness. But there is a downside to that as well. And it's a difficult balance to strike, you know, to be an individual within a society, but it doesn't mean that society did, you know, should, should crush the individual. True, and I think definitely we are in a need of being individualized. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. I don't mean that, you know, every person for themselves, but in a sense that we, we start to have, um, I think, you know, I think Jung used the term individuation is that we can start to really evolve our sense of self, our sense of being or, uh, and a knowing of ourselves, a sense of gravitas. And from that foundation, that solid foundation, we can then go back out into the world and, and connect with our fellow human beings. Um, now, I mean, the question is that, you know, we're talking about technology as well, principally in this here now is a major question. All these technologies reflect um, outwardly the inner state of how we humanity is. And of course, when technology is in the hands of a few people who are, let's say, greedy, etc., then you get technology being centralized and it, it takes away so much from this individual sense, you know. And I think we, I think there was a time when um, a lot of the internet started to grow quickly that it was encouraging all these um, centralized practices and cottage industries and people connecting. And that was kind of the honeymoon period. What we're seeing now, I think, is a is a slip back into the centralization. And you mentioned you mentioned the the health of the pharmaceutical industry, which is heavily centralized. Now I think we're going to see many factors being increasingly centralized. The tech industry, of course, the tech giants are being buying up the smaller companies like, like beer moths and growing and growing. The energy industry is doing that. And for those listeners in the UK, they would have found out that this week there are going to be so many small energy firms um, going bankrupt because of the, the huge price increase. 250% of the wholesale price of gas has gone up, which they can't pass on to the customer. And so they are going to be collapsing and then going into, a, a, again, a, a more centralized energy industry. And so when you have this, then, of course, um, the individual um, suffers because you need an individualized person with a larger community. But when the community is a centralized, faceless apparatus, and it's increasingly so because, you know, we all talk about this. You want, you want to connect with someone because you have a problem. You ring up a company and it's all, you know, it's all these algorithms or bots. And this is increasingly going to be the case is that they're, they're taking this contact, human contact away. Now, for those of us who have been living most of our lives with the human contact, because, you know, we're part of this changeover, we see this as really impacting the, the human question, humanity, and the sense of the individual. So I would say that the, the central question of our time is, is, um, you know, what does it mean to be a human being? And we probably talked upon this again with earlier talks. And within that, you know, I do feel that we need a sense of individualized, the sense of individuation with each person. But that's not a selfish act. That's a sense of, 
of being and a sense of gravitas. And all these things, as you say, are really coming out now. And, and we're being, we're being squeezed to uh, find these new positions for ourselves. If not, then we'll be probably put in a, a round hole in a, you know, and uh, fit in a place. So uh, something like that. Uh, it was funny that you said, you, uh, when you mentioned Jung talking about individuation, uh, because um, when you started speaking, I wrote down on my notepad, Jung individuation, and you immediately said it straight afterwards. <laughs> so let's uh, take a slight turn in all of this. Source is an important word, important term used in your book. Lots of people would accept the notion that, uh, you know, everything's energy. That's kind of a little little mm -hmm. meme, little catchphrase, isn't it? And that does seem to be the case fundamentally. You know, no energy is ever, as I understand it, destroyed. It simply changes its form. Uh, everywhere we look, you know, around us, or on the Earth, out into space, the wider cosmos, everything is energy of some form or another. And then we have the whole question of, of dark energy and what have you. So... And if you're a believer in the Big Bang Theory, you can see that that, you know, the huge release of energy from that has flowed everything else. Now, the idea of energy being fundamental is fine to accept. Then we come on to the question of consciousness. And we could spend a whole hour just talking about the nature of consciousness. There's many people on the cutting edge of science, uh, physics in particular, and also philosophy. And sometimes where those two meet or uh, overlap, I should say, in a Venn diagram-like fashion, working on this. But one of the central concepts to try and wrap our heads around when understanding the, the material, the nature of your book, the material and what the message is, is that consciousness is somehow fundamental um, to reality and that matter is essentially a manifestation within consciousness. Matter is actually an appearance. It, matter isn't all that matters. And even time and space are not fundamental. They too are within consciousness. And that those sorts of ideas are very difficult for people to get their heads around because they seem to fly in the face of the observable reality and, and everyday experience. So perhaps you could just say a word about this concept of source and how uh, what I've mentioned about uh, energy and or consciousness relates to uh, the material that you've uh, you've put across. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, I mean, the question of consciousness uh, is, again, paramount because that that's kind of the... The, the the broad canvas that's the that's the uh, the baseline um thing is i tried in the book to give a, a framework to the sign the latest in scientific understanding uh, which is you know quantum physics but the latest in quantum physics about the the quantum vacuum being uh, an, an a kind of intelligent matrix um now we can't i'm not here to go into all the science now and in a sense end of the day it's not here to convince people each person i think has a has a good reaction to that kind of concept some people would say no i believe in the consensus scientific paradigm that yes the the universe is energy but it's not conscious or intelligent and then some people i think have a good instant reaction say no everything is conscious so i'm not i don't want to kind of go into a, a scientific argument but i will say that my position, and I have shown the scientific uh, research to back that up, is that, yes, everything comes from a source of consciousness, which is, which is energy. Energy is intelligent, is conscious. And that is, that exists as the, let's say, the source. And we can, and we can term it in religious, uh, vocabulary, such as God, the divine, the one. And I use the source to try and get away from religious terminology, but also to recognize that it is primary and it's where we all come from. The, all our souls and consciousness comes from there. Now, the science says that 
again, we're going back early to the early Vedic uh, Vedic uh, traditions, and they talked about the five elements, and they were earth, air, water, sky, and the ether, or what they called the Akashic in, in that time. And so, I mean, in, in, in actually 19th century science, did look at that and called it the ether, but then it got ridiculed, and so that term ether went out of fashion. I think the Akashic is coming back, but I don't want to confuse that with the Akashic records. That's a term that's been used by another another brand, generally kind of what we term a new age brand. But the Akashic or the underlying quantum energy field is where all materiality or all existence manifests from. We can call it the underlying matrix. It's a conscious energetic matrix. And that's pure conscious energy. And from that, you can get a, a kind of manifestation into materiality. Matter reality, atoms are just a kind of a more solidified energy. So if you break down an atom, you get, um, you know, basically you get it down to the, earth, the, the furthest quarks. And quarks are this kind of dancing energy. And once you've gone beyond that, you don't have any matter anymore. It's just energy. And so, well, however you look at it, Everything goes back to energy. The question is, is it conscious or intelligent energy? And increasingly so, <coughs> excuse me, increasingly so, the latest scientists are now coming round to that because seeing that as conscious or intelligent seems to be the only way to explain how everything in our cosmos um, can be so precisely ordained. What I mean by that is that the parameters of the cosmos are so finely tuned that if they were just a slight, slight um, way off, then the cosmos would not hold together. And, you know, and I think now what we've seen is that the greatest wisdom traditions, when they talked about this underlying intelligence field, now seems to be playing out in the latest science. So, if we can... Let's just take a, a thought experiment. If a person takes a thought experiment that everything comes from a source of conscious intelligence, then... Actually, all our paradigms, our scientific paradigms, and our the way you understand the universe, actually fits in much better because there's so many anomalies in the scientific paradigm that you know we don't understand dark energy, dark matter. We don't understand how the, the cosmos um, exists, in fact. And so, having intelligence behind it, because there's also evolutionary trajectories. There are there are movements in a certain direction that are so finely tuned that. Um, Really, it, it, it's becoming, let's say, more common sense. And I do feel that in the future, it's going to become so common sense that people will, will come to a point where they ever wondered how could humanity think that um, the existence or the source was not conscious intelligence. We just have to arrive there. And I also feel that what's happening now is pushing people to find that or connect with themselves and that... Um, sense of a larger meaning and purpose and my own my own journey as well greg is bringing me to a point where um i i can't you know i have to bring an, a spiritual understanding into everything i do because i can't see myself li living in a purely materialistic uh cosmos or reality and then there's uh the question of i use the word observer here because there's you have the observer effect in quantum physics but in terms of reality we aren't just observers uh, it is a participatory reality that we are part of and i don't just mean this in the in the five sense reality dimension 
Um, if we're saying that consciousness is fundamental, then that means that all is interconnected and that in, ter in terms of, of, the, the, of the base reality uh, that we some, that our individual consciousness or collective consciousness somehow can interact with, with all that is, that puts a, not, a very interesting spin on the idea that I mentioned that you know, what we see out there in the world is a you know, manifestation of what is within us. I think in terms of our individual lives in many ways, uh, what occurs to us is a reflection of, of our inner being. You have the hermetic dictum, you know, as above, so below. We could say as within, so without. So um, I think that's a, when you start to think about the potential of reality being, you know, ordered like that, then you start to think about, oh, hang on here. This this reality, whatever it is, isn't just something that's happening to me. It's something that, that I and we are co-creating. Yes, and, and in that sense, um, that is why I chose to, to name or title this book Unified, to actually show that there is no separation. And also, I think what is going to come out or be the consequences of what we're going through, this kind of evolutionary turn, is that, um, as we've kind of you know, touched upon, the the base reality that you call it base reality, we can call it consensus reality, is going to start breaking down, and and this happens always at epochal times, at at momentous times in human history. We've had uh, these huge shifts in how we perceive um, our place in the cosmos and the cosmos itself, and you know the consciousness or the human consciousness and the human access to consciousness has always gone through a development as well and different capacities of the human being have been triggered and you know i think it's no accident let's say that in the last um 70 years especially since the beginning the middle of the 20th century we've had all this uh paranormal phenomena such as the ufos they call them um and it's as if there's been rips in the kind of the cosmic veil or you could say kind of rips in the reality bubble and this is the kind of um, perceptual bubble or perception set that has held humanity in a certain reality narrative for, for so long. And that's all kind of coming apart of the seams now. And, you know, if you look at the world and what's been happening, there's so many things which people call anomalies. And so not only the, the, the huge amount of, of valid, uh, experiential evidence of, uh, UFO, uh, contact, also, the great amount of near-death experiences, uh, the evidence of people showing about being in contact with people who have been deceased and given reliable evidence and information coming from, let's say, another dimension or the other side of the veil. Um, there's so many things been happening, especially in the last 100 years, that um, it's, been in, it's been so difficult for anyone to really hold on to the old existent reality and maintain it with a straight face and say no this is it because you know and so this is a sign a sign of the times you could say an omen that humanity and earth civilization is going through a, a huge monumental transition about how it understands its place in the cosmos and i do sincerely feel that somewhere down the line um, where we're moving to and our descendants will experience this will be a huge opening up of um, these reality 
and we will have a completely new understanding of how the cosmos operates, how energy operates. And once we understand how energy operates, we'll have completely new technologies because they'll be working through a different energy, not a kind of atomic energy, which is working through now, called an electricity. And in fact, um, the, at the turn of the 20th century, around 1905, the great teacher Rudolf Steiner said that electricity is a sub-nature. Um, it's a sub-force, which is, which is quite, can be quite detrimental if you stay there. Um, you, you know, you need to move towards technologies that, that use a clearer or a nearer sense of source energy, which is, you know, he was referring to a kind of etheric, uh, energy. So I, you know, I think that there's so many vested interests trying to cling on to the old paradigm of, of reality, energy, and all this. But it's breaking down, Greg, and, and the new paradigm will have you know, a new inner self and the contact with source and source energy and cosmic energy at the centre of that new paradigm. Oh, that's interesting what you said about Steiner and um, electricity, because I wasn't actually aware of that, and I've, I've read some of his work. That's something I've been uh, getting into uh, more in, in recent times, and it also ties in with actually with what you talked about the, the you know the gas price hike and uh, energy companies going bankrupt, uh, because this reminds us fundamentally we do not have the fossil fuel energy or indeed renewable energy, so-called renewable, to keep the industrial civilization trucking along, and I use that word advisedly, the way that it is at the minute. So these are actual you know symptoms of that that we're seeing now. And a lot of people, of course, have been the only way is up and forwards to the stars and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're seeing signs that that is not the case. And your comment, uh, your quoting of Steiner, or you're mentioning what Steiner said, indicates that there is something more fundamental than than the energy that we're currently uh, powering ourselves with. Yes, and and, and I'm also uh, going back to a lot of the Steiner because really realizing how prescient he was in his remarks. And this also ties into materialism, so we can kind of bring it all in now. And Steiner said that in the years to come, materialism is going to get uh, much more dense, much denser, should I say. And and that is going to tie in with increased use of electricity. And what he said was that there's a kind of uh, de-evolutionary force working against the betterment of humanity, which he called Araman, or the Aramanic forces. And he said that they operate, because they cannot operate directly in our human dimension, these forces operate through ways which are kind of on their wavelength, on their vibrational resonance. And that is electricity. He said electricity, well, because it's a sub-nature of the source or the sunlight, it, it kind of is a vehicle for these other forces to work through human nature. And they're mechanic he called them a kind of mechanical force, a materialistic force. And we can see that now because the way that our technologies are being directed is a way in a kind of mechanistic way. They're not in a humane um, kind of uh, heart-centric way. They're a, they're a very technocratic, ordered, mechanistic way. And if you and if you consider AI and algorithms, the way they work is a very kind of cold, metallic, mechanistic, material type of, of energy. And if we, you know, and if we are going to see a world which is 
uh, overrun by this type of technology where everything is done by an algorithm. You don't have a, a human decision. You don't have a, 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 an instinctual perceptive decision. You have an algorithmic logical decision. Um, this binary of zero ones, these, you know, this is a very kind of mechanistic materialistic paradigm and technology should be there to enhance human necessities enhance the human condition which means more human contact more communities more heart centric um, living but in fact what we're seeing is is that it's now being turned towards an increased mechanization an increased kind of robotic uh, way which is taking us towards transhumanism a transhumanism is like let's do away with the the touchy-feely layer you know you can't get your hands dirty anymore no more kind of grubs bacteria no more sweat. It's all going to be mechanical, cold, sterilized kind of environment. And that is the environment of sub-nature, which Steiner talked about a hundred years ago. And I think that's coming through within an increasingly deepened and dense materialistic um, environment. And that is what we really have to be careful of, because that type of environment, just to give an example, we know the sky is full of all you know, tens of thousands of satellites with now intention of putting tens of thousands of satellites even more into space. We have an increasing electromagnetic grid around the planet going from 5G then to 6G. This kind of encasement could be a, a pure kind of almost terraforming the planet to a, to a kind of sub-nature materialistic de-evolutionary trajectory. But it doesn't sound very, doesn't seem or feel very human to me and I think this is the crux we need to be we need to really find out if we're going down this this kind of mechanistic future or how can we pull away and try to work towards a human centric future Greg well there's a a quote from Steiner that's being circulated as a meme recently and I haven't verified it to see if it actually comes from him but uh, some of the people behind it seem to be perfectly sincere and he spoke about in the future uh, there w a vaccine would be developed that would effectively suck people's spirituality out, you know, their 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 souls in a way, you know, their desire uh, mm -hmm. to to seek a higher self would just be would just be medicated away, and and that's interesting uh, in, in in the light of where we are. Definitely, and that's not a meme. I can I can direct you to the book that that's in. The book is called The Fall of the Spirits of Darkness. Um, it was republished by, I think, Steiner Books around, uh, well, I think it had two editions. I think the latest one was around 2010, in fact. So the fall of the spirits of darkness, uh, Steiner does say in lectures going back to around the first decade of the 20th century that in the future there will be inoculations and vaccines that will despiritualize a person or cut off a person's contact or connection to their spiritual self or really to their source that concludes part one of our interview part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com legalizefreedom.com <laughs>